You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. If you have your copy of God's Word or your Bible app, let's go to Acts chapter 8 together. Acts chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one this morning. There are stacks of Bibles on those tables in the back of the room. You can grab one now or you can grab one on your way out of worship today and just start reading that Bible and see what happens in your life. But we'd love to give you that Bible as a gift today. Uh, As you're turning to Acts 8, I want to give you just a very brief update from our Presbytery meeting once a quarter. We have a meeting of the regional network that we at Faith Church are a part of. It's called a Presbytery. And that was this past weekend uh, in Fort Myers. So I just came back last night from that meeting. Lots of exciting things happened, including an update from our newest church planter and his uh, bus here, his van. Uh, This is Brady Haynes. You've heard us talk about Brady. We hope to have Brady come and preach for us later this year so you can get to know him a little better. He is planting Seaside Church in the Volano Beach area, the St. Augustine area. So we have three church plants that we have supported uh, at Faith Church. This is our newest one. If you'd like to learn more about what Brady and his family are doing, seasidechurchfl.com is their website. Be praying for them, especially between now and Easter. They are hoping to launch their public worship gatherings on Easter Sunday this year. So they're in the process of trying to find a a place they can rent so they can start meeting somewhere close on the beach there. Uh, And they're going to launch their worship gatherings on Easter Sunday. So do remember to pray for them. It was exciting to hear an update from Brady. So again, for those of you that are members, uh, gospel partners at Faith Church, just remember that when you give every month, this is one of the things you're giving toward planting gospel-centered churches throughout our region, throughout the world. This is taking the gospel to the nation. So thank you for your generosity, and please continue to give faithfully so we can plant more and more of these churches in the days to come. Okay, now if you'll stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, we're going to read the same passage we looked at last week, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 31. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, "'Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza.'" This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Today we are concluding our series on evangelism that we have called Faithful Presence, and we're also wrapping up what we started last week. This is part two to the message that I began last Sunday. If you weren't here last Sunday, don't worry. I'll do a quick review so we're all on the same page. We're thinking last week and today about this question, how can we begin to share the gospel where we live, work, and play? I want to remind you of that eye-opening conclusion that we looked at last week from Michael Green's very important work, Evangelism in the Early Church. Green concludes, as important as pastors and missionaries were, the key players in the expansion of earliest Christianity were not those who made it a profession or a major part of their occupation, 
but men and women with secular careers who spoke of their faith to those they met in everyday life. Now that's you. That's you. That's the school teacher and the construction manager and the financial advisor. You and people like you were the key players in the expansion of earliest Christianity and you can be a key player in the expansion of Christianity today. But how? How do we begin? That's the question we're asking and that we asked last week and started to answer and we'll finish answering it today. I want us to think our way back into this question, organizing our thoughts under four main headings. Connecting or meeting lost people. Caring or deepening those relationships with lost people. Chatting or initiating spiritual conversations. And then finally, chaplaining or remaining their bridge to the sacred. The first two will be a review. The final two will be new territory for us today. Here we go. First, connecting or meeting lost people. We said last week that if we hope to share the gospel with unbelievers, then obviously we must meet some unbelievers, right? We must establish relationships with them. How do we do that? Well, we talked about two things in particular. First, the need for prayer. We should pray for opportunities to connect with unbelieving people. And if we pray daily for that, so if you keep a prayer journal or you use a a prayer app, make this one of your prompts. Write it in your journal so you'll remember to pray for it every day. More and more opportunities to connect with lost people. And if you pray that prayer daily, here's what will happen. God will open those doors for you. You will see the doors Because this is already on your mind. You're praying about it every day, right? So you're thinking about it. You'll see the doors and you'll be more ready to walk through them because of the work God is doing in your own heart during those daily prayer times. So pray for opportunities and God will give them to you. Now the second thing we can do is we can frequent the same places. Remember that simple yet effective strategy of the London City Mission. The same person going to the same people regularly to become their friend for Jesus' sake. That's the strategy of the London City Mission. We can do that. Frequent the same places. Get around the same people again and again and again. We all have a neighborhood. That's an easy one to frequent, right? Most of us have a workplace. That's another easy one to frequent. Beyond that, go to the same restaurants. The same library, the same bookstore, the same movie theater. Get to know the people there. Learn their names. Start keeping a list, a note in your phone or somewhere that you have with you at all times. Write down the names of the people that you meet. If you want to establish a relationship with them, a huge first step is learning their name. Frequent the same places. Now, here's one thing I didn't talk about last week. What about that person in your life, that unbelieving friend, that you have known for a long, long time. You don't need to learn their name because you've known their name for 20 years. Maybe they've been your next-door neighbor and never, not once, have you initiated a spiritual conversation with them. Wouldn't it be strange to do so now? You'll be tempted to think, I missed that opportunity. That door is closed. I should move on and maybe someone else can get through to Tom, my neighbor. Don't do that. Don't do that. You haven't missed your opportunity. You've already got a ton of relational equity built with Tom. You've known him for 20 years. Don't 
think someone else will walk through this door and get through to Tom. No, no. All you need is a little apology evangelism. Apology evangelism. Not apology in the sense of making a reasoned argument, a defense of what you believe. No, apology in the sense of admitting your mistake. Here's what you do. The next time you're talking to Tom and you have an opportunity for a good conversation, say something like this. Tom, I owe you an apology. Now, Tom's known you a long time. He'll probably say something like, wait a minute, Dylan. I don't think you've done anything wrong. What do you mean you owe me an apology? I do. I do owe you an apology, Tom, because we've known each other a long time. We've talked about a lot of things. But you know what? There's something that's deeply important to me, and I've never shared it with you, not once. And I have to admit, the reason I haven't is I was afraid. I was afraid of what you might think of me. Maybe Tom says, well, what is it, Dylan? You can tell me. And if he does, the door is open to now begin initiating some spiritual conversations. Apology evangelism can be a very effective thing. Don't you give up on Tom. You've got all that relational equity. Look for the opportunity to start initiating those conversations. So we can connect with people. We can also stay connected to the people that are in our lives. Now, let's also think back to this topic of caring. As we establish relationships with unbelievers, we then want to deepen those relationships so that they become genuine friendships. How do we do that? Well, I gave you three tips last week. The first one is to go to their things. Go to their events. Now, if you grew up in church, this is going to be counterintuitive for you because you grew up hearing things like, invite them to our things. Invite them to church events. This attractional model assumes that unbelievers have a positive view of the church and of Christianity. It assumes that unbelievers are prepared with a basic knowledge of sin and their need for a Savior. It assumes that they're sitting at home just waiting for us to invite them so that we can preach to them. But friends, increasingly this is not the case Increasingly, this is not the case, and we must understand this. Look, if I've lost you, come back. This is one of those eyeball-to-eyeball moments, so come here. We must understand this. In our secular age, in our specific culture, most unbelievers are not unbelievers because they've never heard about Jesus or Christianity. They're unbelievers because they have heard about Jesus and Christianity. They already have a settled impression. And for a variety of reasons, the impression is not a positive one. So we need to do the work of going to them, investing in them, befriending them. See, when we understand this, we, we see why it's so nonsensical to think that if we just plan some high-octane event on our campus and promote it well enough, then unbelievers from all over the city will come. No, what probably will happen is that churched people from all over the city will come, but that's not evangelism. That's not evangelism. We need to go to their things, their parties, their get-togethers, their turf. If you're in one of our connection groups that discusses the, the message and the passage from the previous Sunday, then one of your discussion questions this week was this one. If you have an unbelieving friend and that friend invites you to an event 
that occurs on the same night that we're having a church event, which one would you go to? That's not an easy question to answer, is it? It probably depends on the nature of each event. But just thinking through that hypothetical scenario, it will help you understand why at Faith Church we strive to provide some strategic, occasional events for believers, like a Wednesday night Bible study or the, the Bahamas luncheon next Sunday, while at the same time we strive, we work hard to not have this cluttered calendar that is so full of church events that you'll never have time to go to their things. You see, most people don't have unlimited availability these days. If we have a church event every night of the week, when in the world are you going to find time to go to their things? It's important. Now, the second tip last week is serve. Serve without strings. No strings attached. Look for ways to be generous, to be kind to your neighbors, to your coworkers. The new family moves into the neighborhood, learn their names, and get them a little welcome to the community gift. Something as simple as that. And then finally, last week, we talked about merging our universes. Most of us as Christians have this universe of Christian friends, believing friends, and we're talking now about developing this other universe of unbelieving friends. Eventually, what we need to do is bring the two universes together. So throw a little party at your house, a pool party, organize a picnic on the beach, invite a few of your believing friends and a few of your unbelieving friends. And over time, if you continue to do that, these two universes will merge. They'll become one. And suddenly, the gospel will be more believable because you have more people now in this circle of friends who can say, I've seen what Jesus has done in my life. I've seen the transformative power of the gospel. Merge the universes. So there's the review. Now, the new territory. To this we need to add this idea of chatting or initiating spiritual conversations. We've talked about deepening relationships with unbelievers. We need to also think about how we can deepen conversations. And here again, I'm going to lean on the work of Sam Chan, the Australian evangelist that I mentioned last week. Sam Chan recommends what he calls a three-step approach to conversations. Here's the titles that he uses. He talks about coffee, dinner, and gospel. If you don't like those labels, you could call it beer, pizza, gospel. doesn't really matter. The idea is that there are three layers to a conversation. And we need to move through these layers as we seek to talk about Jesus. So the first layer, Chan calls the coffee layer or the interests layer. These are very informal conversations. It's something like that unbelieving friend of yours inviting them for a cup of coffee after work one day. What is that, a 20 or a 30 minute investment of your time? It's a public setting. It's a very safe space. In a coffee conversation, you're going to talk about interest. You're going to talk about what you enjoy doing and learn what they enjoy doing. You'll ask questions like, what did you do last weekend? How did your team do last weekend? What are you binge watching on Netflix right now? Is it, you know, Cobra Kai? What are you into? Do you have any travel plans coming up in the days ahead? Preferences, likes, dislikes. At this level or layer of conversation, most of the statements made are very descriptive. And so there's a very low risk of disagreement. 
very low risk of tension. You're just getting to know the person, letting them get to know you. And in time, if you continue to organize these coffee conversations, you'll build trust. And then you'll have an open door to go to the next layer of the conversation, which is called the dinner layer or the values layer. So after you've had a series of these coffee conversations, maybe you invite your unbelieving friend to go to dinner with you. Out in a restaurant one night. That's a lot more time that you've committed. You have an hour or two now, plenty of time to talk about this next layer, the values layer. Now here, you're going to talk about things like ethics. You're going to learn each other's estimation of what's important in life. At this stage, the conversation is going to shift. It's going to be less descriptive and more prescriptive. There will be an oughtness to the statements we make and they make. Why? Because these are subjects we're passionate about. And that's a good thing. We're going to learn, for example, what type of school are you planning on sending your children to? And here's the type I'm going to send mine to. Where do you land on that political issue and why? Here's where I land on that issue and why. There is a higher level of risk for disagreement at this layer of the conversation. But listen, we mustn't be afraid of that. And we mustn't get distracted or contentious. Remember the goal in all this. The goal is to present Jesus. The goal is not to persuade your friend to become a Republican or a Democrat. The goal is not to persuade your friend to homeschool or private school. We're getting to Jesus here. So we're going to listen as they share subjects they're passionate about. And as we do that and we empathize, we're showing them this is a safe space. This is a safe space where you can talk about what truly matters to you. And I can do the same. And then in time, if we're patient, perhaps we have an opportunity to go to the deepest level of the conversation, the worldviews layer. Now here in this deepest layer, we shift away from an estimation of what's important in life to beliefs about what lies beyond this life. So what is the origin of the universe? Is there a God? And if so, can we know him? And as subjects like that come up, we will have opportunities to talk about Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Now, Christian, you more than likely will need to be the one to steer the conversation toward this deepest level, the worldviews layer. But that's not as difficult as you might think. You really need two things. You need to listen well and to ask, nudge questions. That's all it takes. Listen well and ask nudge questions. So for example, if I'm talking to one of my unbelieving friends, we're having dinner and we're in this values layer of the conversation and it takes us into the territory of family. And my unbelieving friend says to me that he lost his mother within the last year. That gives me an opportunity to empathize, to find out how is he doing? How can I help? How is his family coping with the loss? it also gives me a topic to return to later. And so maybe the next time we meet, or maybe a few months from now, I come back to that subject, and I say, hey man, I've, I've been thinking about what you shared with me about losing your mom. I've lost people too. It's always tough, isn't it? And you know what? It, it sparks my thinking. Every time I lose someone close to me, it sparks my thinking about, about death. What do you think lies beyond death? You think death is a doorway? Or is it a dead end? Nudge question. 
What have I done? I've just helped the conversation hopefully move from the values layer to the worldviews layer. A nudge question is just that. It nudges the conversation to a deeper level. Don't underestimate the value of listening well and asking questions. Questions are powerful instruments. We probably should ask more questions and lead with less assertions. That story in Acts chapter 8 that we've read twice now, in some ways it's a very atypical story, and we must see that. So we have Philip, the Holy Spirit speaks to him, sends him to the Ethiopian man, and it just so happens that the Ethiopian man has his Bible open and he's reading. There's no relational equity in that story at all. Philip meets a perfect stranger with his Bible open. Philip talks to him. The Ethiopian man is just ready to believe. Obviously, God has been working in his heart for a while. He believes and he's baptized. So the swiftness of it all is is pretty abnormal. But even in that abnormal story, did you notice? What are the first words that come out of Philip's mouth? It's not an assertion, it's a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Don't underestimate the value, the importance of listening well and asking nudge questions. Develop some of your own. Do you have a faith? Did your parents raise you with a certain religion? Do you ever pray? Develop your own nudge questions and then pray for opportunities to ask them. So that's how we can have and initiate spiritual conversations. One final category of thought I want us to think about chaplaining or remaining their bridge to the sacred. You have not evangelized until you have talked to someone about Jesus. You have not evangelized until you've talked to them about Jesus. So let's say you do talk with them about Jesus. Remember then to share those major talking points that we covered in a previous week. Those four talking points I gave you. God, man, Jesus response. God, man, Jesus response. Let's say your friend is ready to respond, to place his or her faith in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Now we can talk about baptism. We can talk about growing as a follower of Jesus. But let's say that they're not yet ready. Let's say you have taken them into that deepest level of the conversation. Maybe you've done so many times. You've talked about Jesus and they are unresponsive. Maybe even uninterested. This is when you must see how important it is to remain interested in them. You are going to function as their chaplain, their functional chaplain. You are their bridge to the sacred. See, eventually what's going to happen in that unbelieving friend's life is something complex is going to happen. Some crisis is going to occur. How do I know that? Because that's life. That's life. And when there's something going on in their life that they just can't get through, that they can't understand, they're going to remember that you claim to have a connection to God. You are their connection to the sacred. And so maybe you will be able to help them understand this complex situation they find themselves in. But that assumes that you are willing to abide Abide in Jesus, of course, yes, but in a different way, abide, stay connected with your unbelieving friend. Don't just give up on him or her because you've had a conversation or two and they don't seem interested in Jesus. Stay connected, stay interested, be there when they need you. And not just that, but live out your faith in a very specific way. 
be a wise, non-anxious presence. That's what a chaplain does. Show them the wisdom of God in the way you live your life, in your relationships, in the way you steward your resources, in the way you wield your words. Show them the wisdom of God. Show them that Christian faith truly does make a difference. And then, when the complex times, when the crisis, when it comes, be that non-anxious presence. Don't panic. Be calm and calming. Show them the peace that surpasses all understanding. It will be powerful. And then finally, offer to pray. This is what a chaplain does. A chaplain is there to pray when things are hard, when life is falling apart. Don't think to yourself, well, I've told them I'm a believer. I've talked about Jesus. They don't want my prayer. They know you're a believer. It would be strange not to pray. Pray for them. You might be surprised how open they are. Even an atheist appreciates prayer when his life is falling apart. I want to end this message in this series with one final reference to Larry Townton's book that I've mentioned a few times now and even gave away copies in the very first week, The Faith of Christopher Hitchens. I've talked about this book a few times, but you know, I haven't told you a whole lot about the story, have I? I wanted to save it for the end. There's sort of a mystery to the title itself, The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, The Restless Soul of the World's Most Notorious Atheist. I've told you that the book is a, a story of how Larry Townton, this Christian, befriends Hitchens. But what happens? What happened to Hitchens? Did he become a believer before he died? How does the story go? Well, here's some of the highlights. This is an abridged version of Townton's account. I think you'll find it helpful. Christopher Hitchens declared himself an atheist as a 15-year-old boy in 1964. From that day the day he became an atheist, his mind was fixed. Objections to Christianity reproduced in his mind faster than heads on the mythical creature Hydra. Over the years, his opinions matured and acquired the weapons of sophistication and experience. He was as opposed to religion as a person could possibly be, or so it seemed. On the one hand, there was his public persona as one of the four horsemen of the new atheist movement. But on the other hand, beyond the spotlight, there was a man whose soul was in turmoil. Two things especially disturbed the waters of his soul. Hardship and friendship. Tragedy and community. The first tragedy, the one that marked a decisive turning point in Hitchens, was September the 11th, 2001. The attack of 9-11 fractured the deepest structures of his worldview, Townton writes. Hitchens saw in 9-11 the undeniable corruption of humanity, a very Christian notion, mind you. It is our innate sinfulness that makes us a race in need of redemption. From 9-11 forward, Hitchens began to do all sorts of unhitch-like things, like fraternizing with certain evangelical Christians. One of these Christians was a man named Larry Townton. 
Taunton recalls his private conversations with Hitchens during this time, saying, there was a slow but steady warming toward the very Christianity that he had for so long rebuked. Over time, as Hitchens and Taunton grew closer, as the atheist observed how the Christian lived out his faith, the warming continued. A key moment was when Hitchens discovered that Taunton and his wife were adopting a young girl from Ukraine. Her name was Sasha. She was 10 years old, and she was HIV positive. Hitchens couldn't believe that Taunton and his wife would extend such love, that they would care for the least of these. It was one thing to debate the merits of religion, but seeing it in practice was altogether different. Sasha's very presence had rattled his worldview to the foundation. One day, Taunton received news of Hitchens being taken off a flight because he was having difficulty breathing. Shortly thereafter, Taunton called Hitchens and learned that his friend had been diagnosed with esophageal cancer. The tragedy of all tragedies had hit. It was the same cancer that had claimed Hitchens' father. It was a death sentence. Taunton told his friend that he would be praying for him. Thank you, Hitchens replied. I know you mean it. Even an atheist wants prayer when his world is falling apart. Not long after this, Hitchens took a long road trip with Taunton. Taunton drove. Hitchens sipped Johnny Walker, continued to smoke the cigarettes that had signed his death warrant, and read aloud the Gospel of John. Two years prior, Taunton had challenged Hitchens to read it. And finally, he accepted the challenge. Hitchens read. Taunton asked questions. Hitchens warmed to the Bible study. The two friends had an opportunity for a second road trip. Together, they discussed Jesus' claims of divinity, his offer of salvation. It was one of the last conversations they had. Christopher Hitchens died on December the 15th, 2011. He was a searcher. At the end of his life, his searches had brought him to the claims of the Bible, to the person of Jesus. Did Hitchens experience conversion in his final days? Did he believe in his heart that Jesus died for his sins and was raised from the dead? We don't know. Taunton is hopeful. Certainly, Taunton was influential. There is something irresistible about a Christian who lives his or her faith genuinely with great conviction. The philosopher and skeptic David Hume was once recognized among a group of people listening intently to the preaching of George Whitfield, the famed evangelist of the First Great Awakening. I thought you didn't believe this stuff, someone in the crowd said to Hume. I do not. And then with a nod toward Whitfield, he said, but he does. He does. 
He does. There is something irresistible about a Christian, an ordinary Christian, who lives his or her faith genuinely. Friends, I want you to go and show the love of Jesus. Go and speak about Jesus. And as you do, remember God's role and our role in evangelism. It is not up to us that the gospel be believed. It does not depend on us that the gospel be believed. But there is much we can do to make the gospel respected. So go and do just that. Will you pray? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. We do pray this morning for more and more opportunities to connect with unbelievers, to show your love, to share your truth. Help us to see the people that are right in front of us, those that have been our neighbors for a long time, co-workers, family members even. Help us also to meet new people. It's so easy for us to get busy in our own lives, selfish, indifferent toward this mission that you've given us, God. Forgive us for those times. Empower us with your spirit. Awaken us. We so want to participate in this mission. There is no greater mission. So we ask you to use us in powerful ways. Transform hearts. Give the gift of faith. Use us. We desire to take the gospel to the nations and to our neighbors. Use us, Lord. Use us.